You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. It is Monday, January the 9th, brightening up nicely here in TW11. And during the course of the next half an hour, 40 minutes or so, you'll be hearing from some of the leading players in the game in Britain and Ireland, reflecting on events over the weekend. Gordon Elliott, Paul Nichols, Kim Bailey, Johnny Burke will be joining me. But first, the big news that broke during the course of the weekend was that the leading Newmarket-based sales company, Tattersalls, would have to offer, re-offer 17 horses for sale to recoup £11.6 million that has not been paid by the purchaser. The horses were all signed for by bloodstock agent Richard Knight, and it is believed that they've been signed for on behalf of Sally Alhamezi, a prominent Q80 businessman with formerly a good record, at the sales when in partnership with Imad Al-Sagar with whom he owned the Derby winner authorised. They split in 2018 and he is uh, operating it seems uh, on his own now. Jane Mangan is the RTE and Racing TV broadcaster who is with me now and has significant experience in and around the sales ring as well as vendor, purchaser and agent. Just crunch the numbers for us Jane. What's not been paid for here and where? So over the course of uh, last autumn, uh, the outfit represented by Richard Knight, Bloodstock Agent Richard Knight, acquired 31 yearlings for a total of over uh, 20 million sterling. So if you take Tatterstalls, they had Phillies 17 yearlings purchased from Tats Book 1 and 2, uh, worth a combined total of 11 million guineas. Three were purchased at the Goffs Orby sale, worth just shy of 3 million euros. Uh, five yearlings from Arcana's August sale, just shy of 2 million euros. And six at Keeneland September, worth just shy of $5 million. So we're talking about some of the best bred yearlings at the sales and toppers, 2 million, uh, that 1.8 million Lope de Vega filly. And uh, it's quite the unprecedented mess. Jane, there have been incidents like this similar. We'll come on to those in a, in a few moments time. So whilst not entirely unprecedented, something on this scale is going to come as a big shock to the, the sales houses. Should it though, have they been careful enough from what you can see. So that's the number one question that springs to everyone's mind. How did this happen? And why was it allowed to happen? But you must take each sales company as individual business entities. They have their own procedures, their own conditions in terms of sale. And I would imagine for every prospective purchaser, regardless of what they intend to spend volume-wise, will have had due diligence done on them by the sales companies. Um, a lot of people think, should they have had credit in their account pre-purchase? Again, that is down to individual sales companies and their own the way they work and run their business. Of course, Richard Knight himself as a bloodstock agent uh, will have done his own due diligence on the, his client. Uh, he signed a purchases authorization form, which indemnifies him from any financial liability that is incurred in this instance. Um, but I do think whatever the procedures and conditions of sale are, Pre this situation, it will certainly shine a light on what will happen in the future. And if in the future 
things will change. Oliver St. Lawrence is the chair of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents and joins me now. Uh, Oliver, from your perspective, and you buy for um, some significant Middle Eastern interests as well, from your perspective, is there anything the sales companies should or could have done differently to stop this happening? Well, I'm not privy to what the sales companies did. I mean, I... Um, he has a past history with the sales companies, which as far as I'm aware is, is very good. And I don't quite know what due diligence the sales companies did. Presumably they did do due diligence and um, they decided to take the, 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 the risk that there is with every client, um, having done that due diligence. Um, from, from your perspective, what, when, when you go to a, a sales house and say, look, I've got a new client, they've got a lot of money, they've got a lot of money to spend, what would normally be the, be the process? Would you be asked to put some money in the, in the pot up front? What, what, what would normally happen? Um, I think every case is individual. Um, I think some people have definitely been asked to put money in the, in the pot up front. Um, but I suspect... Um, in, if it is Mr. Al Humezi, who we all believe it is, but if it is Mr. Al Humezi, you know he has a past record with tassels, which so I think was was good. So they um, presumably they they did some due diligence and were having done that, were happy to to go ahead. I, I don't know whether he did deposit money. It doesn't sound as if he did, but there we are. What concerns would you have just looking at the case in the round from from your from your perspective as FBA chair, just on on behalf of of the people that you represent? Um, I'm I'm hoping and believe that um, Richard Knight is, uh, you know, I'm 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 concerned with protecting Richard Knight as a member of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents, and um, you know he. As I understand it, he, he got the authority to act signed with the various sales companies and um, the various sales companies, say, did whatever due diligence and decided to give Mr. Alhumezi the uh, credit. And so there shouldn't be any repercussions for Richard. I, I presume he's been as helpful as he can be to the sales companies to, to help recover the money. Um, but there shouldn't be any other um you know anything else that can be done against Richard um, having having acted properly and, and and with with integrity and if the, this outfit was buying horses in in August and then and then was going in October and buying horses and horses from August that hadn't been paid for is is there a need for for greater communication between between sales houses on payers and non-payers Yes, I mean, I think there is a fair bit of communication between them already on that subject, but I might be wrong. Um, and they frequently um, extend longer lines of credit um, to, to clients um, to help them pay. Or So I, I don't think the gap between August and, and um, middle of August and the uh, beginning of October um, particularly in Tassel's cases, you know, that's that's only six, seven weeks. Um, I can't see that having raised red flags at that stage. Yeah, as you say, even if he paid tomorrow, he wouldn't be the, the last person to pay for a yearling. It's simply a question of, of volume and, and non-payment off the back of several reminders. Uh, when you've got 17 yearlings that are sort of in limbo, if you like, what could what can the sales company realistically expect to get for those as a percentage of the of, of the initial purchase price? Do you think? 
I don't know, and I, I'd be interested to discover what process they're going to actually follow. I know they've they've effectively told us they could be for sale, um, but if I was to put in an offer today for one of them, would that offer be immediately accepted, or would it be sit around for a few weeks, see if it could be bettered? I, I don't know. Um, I'd imagine there's going to be a 25% haircut or something, but uh, it's really hard to, to know and how far they've got along with Adam Kirby whether they've been pushed um, or not, which I suspect they haven't, but if they have, you know, which ones are showing more ability than others is going to make a difference. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? I, are you surprised it doesn't happen more or not? Um. I think it happens a little bit more than you think. Um, there's definitely been uh, two-year-olds that have gone to breeze-up sales before now that have uh, have not been paid for. Um, so I don't, you know, it's, it's not that unusual, but the volume is, is, is what is unusual. Yeah, and, is, and, and it, it's the actual volume of animals as well as the volume of money, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that, that, that is what's unusual. Um but uh, if rumours are to be believed, you know, Mr. Alamazi is talking the whole time to the sales companies, and I don't think it's, you know, um, a, a. I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that he might still come up with the money. But I have no contact with him. I mean, that's just what rumours are saying. Oliver St. Lawrence, there, who is the chair of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents, with some interesting insight. Jane Mangan, still with me. So, as things stand, some prospective buyers are asked by some sales companies to deposit large sums of money if they are stating their intention to spend large sums of money. In this case, though, it seems that uh, Al Hamazi's previous good character, previous good conduct, previous promptness of payment has meant that he's been afforded credit, though only to 30 days. He's not asked for any extended credit with any of the sales companies that we know of. That's my understanding anyway. So clearly these companies, in the first instance, were expecting prompt payment as per. The only red flags you could say, Jane, is that most of his purchases previously had come in his previous partnership with Imad Al Cigar, from whom he has split for the last four years. We also don't know if uh, the client in this case had maybe 50% deposit in, in account before purchase. Uh, if he himself knew that he was having a cash, cash flow issue, should he have gone into Tattersall's October and spent 11 million guineas? These are all valid questions that we ultimately don't know the answers to. But now, going forward, these 31 yearlings are a completely different prospect. They're no longer essentially untouched, untried yearlings. They're broken they're riding they're with adam kirby and megan evans and vicarage farm in newmarket and they're a completely different shape if you like if when you're looking at these horses now they're no longer what you saw in the autumn so another vital piece to this puzzle is that all vendors from all of those sales houses have been paid so it's the sales houses themselves that are essentially lifting the burden of debt at the moment um, and as I said, I must emphasize that each sales company will be dealing with their own set of circumstances in their own way. But Tatterstalls, given, as we mentioned, the numbers, Keeneland, almost five million dollars, Arcana, two million euros, Goffs, almost three million euros. But Tatterstalls are weltering the burden of 11 million guineas. So they've had to move forward. It's January of their two year old year. So 
it's a very important time in, in their in their lives these yearlings and uh this their decision whether they go public or private with these horses of course is completely down to them and if they do get offered privately one would have to imagine they'd be taken very seriously but you say it's not unprecedented but i can tell you in my lifetime anyway i i have not ever seen uh, a 20 million dollar case uh, or a 20 million pound case uh where you're dealing with this and then as we were all engrossed in the yearling market back in the autumn I think it's fair to say in Europe anyway, we thought it was an inflated market, an incredibly strong market. And of course, now it it was all almost a false market if these horses aren't paid for, because you're injecting 20 million into the market. You're also making horses more expensive that you're underbidding. And we, when comparing sales results all the way along, we have been skipping the COVID years and going back to 2019. Well, now next year, We'd have to skip 2022 as well. And it is just worth referring back to that Oliver St. Lawrence interview where at the end he said that rumour has it that Al Hamazi has been assuring the sales companies that they may yet get the money. And that might well be the case that Arcana, Goffs and Keeneland are are holding out for that. And they feel they feel confident for whatever reason that they will get paid at, at some point. And it is also worth pointing out here that Al Hamazi, it is reported, um, lost his mother last Thursday. So you you can entirely draw your own conclusions as to as to what impact that may have on what happens in the in the next few days. Now, Jane, just going back to what we were saying before, and this is not strictly germane to this case, but there is a bit of context here, both from within inside and outside the bloodstock world. A couple of. Um, Interesting precedents I've got for you. I realise that this is an unusual case, but back in 2001, an Irish bloodstock agent and his British client racked up defaults at major sales companies around the world. Um, Paul Collins, on behalf of Berkshire businessman Bobby Caloran, um, bought 2.6 million francs worth of a saddle as well as 2.2 million francs worth of a Darshan. They were re-offered for sale because they couldn't be paid for. They did the same in Keeneland. They did the same in facing Tipton as well. Tattersall's Island was forced to resell a Be My Native three-year-old gelding bought for $168,000. That was resold at Fairy House for just eighty-seven. Now that gives you the indication, Jane, that when these horses are re-offered, if they're sold privately or if they are re-offered through public auction, what's the best that the sales house can hope to recoup? Six, seven P in the pound, maybe? This, this is another crucial part to this. So uh, I've been carefully reading the conditions of sale in the front of the Tatterstalls, but carefully than I've ever read them. And uh, here's a couple of questions. So a lot, of, a lot of people will be thinking, well, why don't the sales houses sue the client in this case? So this is just in the case of Tatterstalls reading there. Well, they will. Um, they will, won't they? They'll sue, the, they'll sue them for the difference. Yes. So that's, that's, that's the part I was getting to. So they are entitled to sue for the full amount. Um, but if you fast forward to part seven if the purchaser under the contract of resale defaults the purchaser shall remain liable for the unpaid balance of the purchase price together with the interest due so if for instance the two million frankel sells for one he the purchaser uh, in the first instance is still um liable for the difference plus interest Mm -hmm. And this, Jane, is not unique to horses. I mean, this happens at auction houses all over the world. Sotheby's in 2018 served Anatole, brilliantly named Anatole Shagalov, 
with a lawsuit after the New York art dealer failed to pay $6.5 million that he bid at a live auction for an untitled 1982 painting. He subsequently found another buyer for the artwork, but the uh, the buyer only paid $4.4 million, so the auction house's lawsuit um, sought Shagalov to pay the $2.13 million difference between what he bid and what he ultimately sold for it. It's ex- exactly the same situation here. In 2017, Phillips, the auction house, sued a Chinese businessman and collector. You think, you think this is bad? Zhang Chang for his refusal to honor $24 million of a, a Gerhard Richter painting, Dusen Jäger. And in 2016, Christie's filed a $32 million lawsuit against collector Jose Magrabi for not paying for a, a, a Jean-Michel Basquiat painting, The Field Next to the Other Road. This does happen in other, in other walks of life as well. Running an auction house is an extremely risky business, and you're only one bad debt away from a good sale becoming an extremely bad one. But what's even more risky is these aren't paintings. <laughs> these are completely different prospects now to what they were in the autumn. And uh, they have blood and bones and are a little bit more fragile, I would imagine, than uh, Renoir or yeah. Monet. And, the, but... and, the, point, and the, po- the point you raised there, though, is a very interesting one, because that's why Tattersalls, with 17 yearlings on hold, need to move fast, because these horses' careers need to progress. They're at the most crucial point of their of their development. Absolutely. So that is why they've probably been forced into, I, I would imagine Tattersalls is the last thing they would have wanted to do, but they have no choice. And the other sales companies will do what in their own individual case is what's right for them. But 17 yearlings, it's 11 million guineas and they will do as they see fit. But will this change procedure going forward? Will somebody who intends to spend over 500,000 guineas at next year's Tattersall sale will they be forced to have at least 50% on deposit who know I th- I think there will be a, this conversation raised at all sales houses going forward will they change their conditions of sale we'll have to read the small print next year well let's move on to what happened on the track in Britain and Ireland yesterday and at Nace in Ireland leading Irish jockey Jack Kennedy suffered a fifth fracture of his leg aboard the ill-fated Gordon Elliott trained top bandit in the novice chase won by Appreciate It. I put in a call to Gordon Elliott this morning. I commiserated with him for the loss of top bandit and asked how Jack Kennedy was. Yeah, he's in good form, Nick. Listen, he, um, he, he got an x-ray last night and I think it's not as bad as we first thought. So, um, look, he's going to be looking five or six weeks out of the sideline, but uh, not as bad as we first thought, you know. So it's not inconceivable he could be back for the spring festivals? Oh, I'd say most definitely he will, hopefully. Um, I think he's to go back to the hospital again next Friday and we'll know more for then, no more then for definite, but uh, hopefully everything will be okay. He was in the ace with us this morning, galloping and hit babies, so uh, look, at he's, uh, he, he's as keen as, as the whole lot of us to have him back and uh, he's in good spirits, so hopefully he won't be out too long. He's got some temperament for the game. He has, yeah. He's so laid back, I think it's great. Um, He's a great temperament and he, he, look, he's hungry to get back. What did you make of Irish Point yesterday in the Grade 1? I thought he ran a good race. He got bet fair and square. Um, he gallops to the line. You know, he's still on his third run over hurdles. He probably lacks a bit of experience, but uh, didn't lose much in defeat. I don't think he done much wrong. What do you think his, his likely target will be? Uh, obviously, that's will have to talk to Brian, his owner, and, uh, and the whole team. Um, look, he can go two miles. He can step up and trip, you know. Go to Cheltenham and Stephen a definite jet, but he came out with the race well and we're in good form. 
Right, Gordon Elliott there uh, with cautiously positive news about Jack Kennedy. Could be back for Cheltenham and he's up on his feet and the, the fracture has no displacement. Jane Mangan is with me. Clearly, we all send our best wishes to Jack for a speedy recovery. Let's talk about the feature race at Nace, Jane. What did you make of the winner, Champ Kylie, who defeated Gordon Elliott's Irish point? Well, he comp- comprehensively turned around the Royal Bond form. The Royal Bond had been a little bit of a muddling race. Champ Kylie pulled too hard and basically burnt too much energy early in the race uh, to eventually fade. Irish Point was second just behind Marine Nacional in that grade one. And he ran another good race yesterday, having stepped up in trip. But Cham Coyley, under a masterful Danny Danny Mullins front-running ride, Danny's kind of getting this reputation for being an awesome front-running jockey. He just is a good jockey. There is no uh, one dimension about it. Uh, he, he stayed very well. The last two hurdles were omitted, which took a little bit of shine off the race. Um, Grange Clare West, the favourite and first choice of Paul Town, and he disappointed, found nothing under pressure to eventually finish fifth, but he was uh, found to be coughing post-race by the IHRB vets. And it it looked a deep grade one. And you have to say Cham Coyley, who had been a very good winner of his maiden at Galway over the summer, looked like he he was a pretty exciting prospect. And it's received wisdom now, Jane, that if a, an, a horse trained in Ireland wins a, a novice hurdle, they are a contender for the Cheltenham Festival. And if they win one in Britain, they're not. Uh, it, Paul Nichols, however, and Noel Feely, the syndicate manager responsible for Tamuras, the winner of Saturday's Grade 1 Tolworth hurdle at Sandown, both believe they've got a genuine contender for the Supreme Novices, with Feely likening the horse to his own Supreme Novices winner, Somerville Boy, from a few years ago. What was your read of that? Uh, I like the horse. Uh, I was listening to Lydia on Friday, who really likes the horse, and she was proved absolutely right. Five to two, he went off, and he beat Lastra Boy in the Mean Leon. Now, I did think the race, pre-race, was was a deeper Tolworth hurdle than it probably turned out to be, because Arctic Brezel never travelled, never looked likely, and never ran a race. Um, Authorised Speed, your, your five to four favourite, he didn't find anything under pressure and was scoped uh, post-race and found to be scoping dirty. So you could question the couple of those horses didn't run their races. But Tamuras, having beaten Sizing Potsy at Haydock before this, travelled with consummate ease, you would have to say, uh, got the last two hurdles wrong and still extended away to beat Lastra Boy quite comprehensively. Um, I, I like this horse. I think the best is yet to come. And in a better race, off a stronger pace, he'll be even better. So I think he went into the race with a mark of 134. He's going to come out with a lot higher. All right, Paul Nichols with me now. Uh, Paul, you've trained Supreme Novice Hurdle winners. You've trained a few Tolworth winners, though not for a while. And you've trained a horse who's won both. Could Tamuras do it, do you think? Uh, he, he's not unlike, I said, I'm sorry, he's not unlike Nolan who actually won the Tarworth and then went and won a Supreme, and Alfroth, who also won a Supreme, in that they're probably staying chasers of the future, but they're horses that can win a Supreme. Um, He's got to improve probably on what he's done on the weekend, but he's going the right way, so why not? By Falco, a miler out of a whipper mare from from the family of a sprinter going three generations back, there's a lot of speed in that pedigree. There is a lot of speed in the pedigree, as you say, but he, you, you know, everything suggests he, he, he'd probably get a bit further, but you need a good stay in two-miler to win those races, and um, 
he's just beginning to mature and get there. And yeah, why not? I mean, we're going to give it a go anyway. You know, it's a, it's 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 the nice race to win the opening race of the festival, and it's nice to have one good enough to run in it. And, and does it does it cross your mind? Because it has crossed mine that in the last two or three years. There've not really been many runners in the race, you know. There've only been eights and nines and tens. Is that does that sort of you think? Well, hang on a minute. If I don't turn up, I I can't win it. No, exactly. It is a little bit like that. That's the way it's been. So you know, we tend to run him. I've also entered a, a nice novice called Rabode, who was second to a good horse at Kempton over Christmas. He he he'd probably like better ground, so he's well capable of going as well. So it'd be nice to have a couple of runners. And the the real star novice from your yard so far looks like Hermes Salah, who won the who won the Chalo Hurdle. How's he come out of that race? Yeah, he's fine. He, he's had a quiet week last week. He had his flu jab. I've just seen him out cantering now. Um, yeah, he's fine. I mean, he, he, he hardly knew he'd had a race. He, he's obviously got a fairly good engine. It's fairly obvious. And yeah, he's fine. And he'll go straight to Cheltenham now. Harry Cobden, it was quite striking afterwards. He said he really doesn't show much at home at all. Is he perking up with racing? He's getting more experience in everything he does, and he's obviously worked out yeah, he's very green mentally. But do you know, all those good horses are like that, really. They don't show much at home. They save it for the track, and that's, the, that's what you want, really. You, you don't want morning glories, as it were, and let you down when they run. Those, those are the better horses. But he was fairly dire in the spring, to be fair, and that's why we didn't run him. Um, but he's just mentally immature, really. And I said before the challenge, the difference with the race this year was that you could have run two, three different ones in that and you and you chose him are there a few bubbling under in that division that you still got the eyes on the end of the season for oh yeah I mean three very nice horses Stairway Faye who won at Newbury um, um, Henry II who won the Great two at Sandown um, and Nosley Road who's unbeaten so they're three really nice staying novice they're all going to find races for those in the next three weeks so yeah they're, they're nice horses too and the the other division uh, of the of the novices is of course the Triumph Hurdle, and you, you've got a couple of you got a couple of four year olds out this afternoon at, at Taunton, Rare Middleton, and and Affordale. I saw your assistant trainer Charlie posted a picture of them schooling last week. They well they seem to be able to jump all right. Yeah, they've done a lot of jumping. They know what they're doing. I just just one thing in the back of my mind today. I'd be slightly worried about the ground being so soft, but they've got to start somewhere. And if we're going to go for a triumph early, you've got to get some experience into them. So, yeah, they've done lots of jumping. They're both nice horses. Go well at home. The ground would just concern me slightly. But you know, until you run them, you don't really know. I mean, are they the, are they at the top of the sort of four year old group for you at the moment? Well, the best one we've run so far is Dixon Cove. We just got beat in the finale. We haven't run too many, to be honest with you. And, you know, you get surprises along the way. We've got you know, three or four to run through the spring. Um, I come back to the days of Zarkanda. You never really knew what you got till you run them. We went and won their donors. We weren't really expecting that. So with these horses, young horses, you you know, you, until they run, you don't really know. So you've got to get crack on and go. You know, today's a starting point for both of them. I mean, they both run well. If they cope with the ground, they both go very well. They're both nice horses. Champion trader Paul Nichols there on his novice hurdle squad. And Jane, you wanted to make a point about the purchase of Tamuras. Uh, I will say it's worth mentioning that Tamuras was bought as a three-year-old store at the Derby sale for mm. 10 grand. Cham Kylie was bought for five and 5,800 euros as a foal. Um, and Love Envoy, who we'll get onto in a little bit, was bought after winning the bumper for 38,000 pounds. So if people think outside the box of sire power, they're all by completely different yeah. sires. Yeah. There is serious value to be had. Yeah, I'm Noel Feely and I, he was on my show yesterday on my racing TV show and he he said, I will sacrifice pedigree for confirmation. And because I'm running a syndicate, syndicate members want action. 
And if they want action, really, my only prerequisite is I need a horse that's sound enough to take plenty of racing. So I will go for confirmation, good walk, good le- good limbs every time, and I will sacrifice a little bit on pedigree. And that's what he's done, and he's, th- he's thrown up two grade one horses. It's a remarkable achievement, and they're both trained in Britain. And there was all the talk about, oh, you can't get a grade one horse out of Ireland, etc. Well, he's shown you can, and he's done it twice. Two different trainers, two different genders, come from different sources. It's a hell of an achievement. Let's talk about Love Envoy, Jane. She was really good Saturday. Yeah, she was, and she beat a good field. And she's learning to race more professionally. I heard Noel mention that that's probably crucial to her um, thriving now that she's settling a little bit better and is easier for Jonathan to to harness, essentially, because she was a little bit of a tearaway. Harry Fry and, and his wife, Kira have done a brilliant job. And she's still only seven-year-old. She's every right to be getting better. Um, I think she came, she went into the weekend with a rating of 144. So she's going to be a force considering we know she likes Cheltenham. She's previous festival winner. Uh, I, I, to beat Martello Sky that easily, that's a very good performance. Right. Well, let's hear from the man who rode Love Envoy, Johnny Burke, uh, who has made a, a big difference to her, I think, according to Noel Feely yesterday, because she was a little headstrong last year and she looks much more complete now. Johnny, how good do you think she is? Um, we don't really know, Nick. Um, she, she just, every day she runs, she just rises to the challenge. Um, Brandy Love is the only one to, to do her. Um, I was very impressed with the way she went through the race the last day um, on Saturday. I probably should have rode her with more confidence, but because I'm so used to her pulling and running off of me, I was half worried that she wasn't going. But um, I think now we can ride her with more confidence. And, and she, she, I guess what's the thing is that she's very effective on that ground. And, and like to watch it back, she just goes through with such with such ease. Uh, the the economy with which she jumped to hurdles was notable. I thought, G- given normally when you see horses running in hurdling in in soft and heavy ground, they're having to you know make the effort to get over them. But she was kind of skipping them and wasting no time. Yeah, I suppose the, the, the two jumps, the first two hurdles down, down down the back were most, she was very quick and slick at them and she jumped from four to up, up, upsides um, in front. But like I said on, to you on Saturday, I was very impressed with the way she jumped on Saturday because I felt the previous time she was a little bit guessy. Um, but maybe the step up and trip has just allowed her to be a bit more relaxed about it. But um, she, she was just very good at the day. And like, like I said, she just keeps surprising us really every day because she is... She's not flashy in any sense, but Saturday she was. So, so that was that was really really good. Yeah. I mean, you've built up a serious portfolio of horses and and big races this season. I mean, in terms of in terms of sheer raw ability, where does she rank? I'm right up there. On what she's done. Um, I think she's got a great will to win, and and and, and that's that puts her puts her nearly on top. Really, like every day she goes, she she just wins, and she's gone. Although she was very impressive today, the previous time she's a bit clever. Like she kind of waits for horses now, so um, she's just got all the attributes of a race horse. Really, like she doesn't show much in so show, show much in the gallop. So when she goes racing, she's very very good. So uh, we're just very lucky to be a part of her. And I've I've spoken about two of your your rides during the course of the, the last couple of weeks. We've spoken to Jamie Stone about Garlor, Oliver Sherwood about Queen's Gamble. Um, you've been riding Boot Hill as well for for Harry Fry. It's a it's a it's a great little portfolio of contacts that that you built up this season. Um, you must be thrilled with the way things are going. Oh yeah, like very much so. Like, but a lot of it's been the right place, right time, and, and just things just fell into place. Um, very lucky to, to have all those contacts and and, and like to stumble across horses. 
like that, like to be to be heading into spring festivals with, with potential chances is great, and it's kind of what every jockey wants. Every when every autumn comes comes around, you're looking for those for those horses. So I've been lucky to find to find four. So I'm grateful. All right, well done, Johnny. Thank you very much, Nick. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, a week ago on this podcast, exactly a week ago, Alan King revealed that Edward Stone would run in the Clarence House Chase at Ascot and then run in the Game Spirit Chase at Newbury. Uh, that that seems to have garnered a bit more attention over the weekend. And uh, on Friday, Sean Graham, racing manager to Tony Bloom, revealed that Enegumen would also run in that race. So when they line up at Ascot in the Clarence House Chase later in the month, Jane, who do you expect to come out on top? I have always been a big fan of Edward Stone, but I am team in Argumine. I think he's he's look, he's proven himself to be the real deal, but he won a champion chase that fell apart. So he's running last year's Clarence House chase is probably the run of his life. And I think a reproduction of that could see him win and beat Edward Stone again this year. And we must mention, of course He'll just he'll just give Edward Stone a nice lead, won't he? He doesn't even have to lead. That's the beauty of him. He's not an under so. Uh he's he's quite adaptable I, I i i look i'm a huge fan of the horse he's my idea of the winner if we're talking about two mile chasers we must mention appreciated as well we mentioned uh he's obviously his task was made an awful lot easier by the departure of the ill-fated top bandit uh, but in a race that blue lord won last year appreciated beat gaelic art with consummate ease as well jumping very simply um almost frustrated watching it because the field was so dispersed it was only four or five runners, the camera angle was so zoomed out you could barely see them, only that there were dots still in the screen. I would and and, and as somebody who has a horse that's often uh, so far out of the picture that the, the camera is compromised, I'd nearly just prefer to zoom in on the front too, so that you can actually see how they're jumping. That's an important element of the whole thing. You could get the second two jumping the fences in between. Jane, you mentioned Arctic Brazil there. Uh, Henry de Bromhead's brought three horses to England this season, and he's always been, you know, before he became a mega trainer, his even before that, his record of bringing horses here was was really excellent. He would do it a bit more than some other Irish trainers, but the three forays so far have been unusually bad. Yeah, completely fruitless, and a lot of onlookers and punters will now be getting a little bit concerned because when you take a Plutar pulling up in the Betfair chase, clearly not himself in Voilen, maybe just not good enough in the King George, but running no kind of a race. And now uh, Arctic Brazil, who I thought never looked like he was comfortable, never travelled, didn't jump with any fluency and was beaten after a mile. People will be putting two and two together and thinking, well, they're not travelling to the UK. They're, they're, there's something going on in between. But uh, look, with the big spring festivals on the horizon, I'm sure that the Bromhead team will be scanning everything, uh, clearing everything and going through all the procedures necessary. It is not an ideal way to be heading into the spring, but I wouldn't be jumping to those kind of conclusions just yet, albeit it is far from ideal. Well, you'd have been forgiven Saturday, maybe for just letting your attention ebb away at the very, very dying stages of proceedings at Wincanton. You shouldn't have done because Chianti Classico won and won quite nicely for um, Kim Bailey in the colours of the, the Ascot chairman, Francis Brooks, Sir Francis Brook. Uh, Hattrick Horse wants to go to the Cheltenham Festival, can't go to the Cheltenham Festival because of new rules that mean you have to have run four times over hurdles. Um, Kim's with me now. Um, Kim, you've won three, but you can't run at Cheltenham. How do you feel about it? Um, well, I think it's, it's a very sad situation because um, under normal circumstances or past circumstances, that was more than enough to qualify you for a Joe Coral Cup or, or a Coral Cup or whatever. 
um, or any handicap. I mean, they're all in the same situation. They've got to be four, um, um, four, four starts over hurdles, which I think is, 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 especially in a season like we've had this year, very, very strange. So I, I think really off the back of victories from horses like Galapand Deschamps, particularly State Man last year, can you see why, why the rule has been brought in? I can, but I mean, you know, why should the rules change for, for basically one horse, possibly two horses, um, when everybody else is trying to be normal? I think if you if you looked at the bare facts of it, that both those horses have one run in France and two runs in Ireland, um, of which I think one horse actually pulled up to or fell um, to make its three runs. You know, if we if we make it the rule or the rule should be changed to three completed runs in England or Ireland, should be good enough to qualify you for a handicap at Cheltenham or any big handicap that um, you'd like to run in. Yeah, I mean, handicappers will maintain that they can make an assessment of, of French form, but I, I think numerous results over the years at the Cheltenham Festival from, from big stables either side of the Irish Sea suggest that's not, not necessarily the case. Yeah, I, three completed starts in Britain and or Ireland seems to be, seems to be reasonable, doesn't it? I think very reasonable. Um, you know, I've got a horse called Trelawne who's um, who's run three times. I desperately wanted to run him at at um, Lingfield um, in their in their big race there, their big hurdle race, and we can't do that. He's only had three runs. He's won twice and finished second. Um, and uh, so he's going to go to Chester next week and run an ordinary race and 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 miss what I, what would have been a year ago a decent pot to go for. All right. Thanks to my guest today, Jane Mangan is still with me and has a tip for you for this afternoon. Yes, we're going to Scotland for the first race. Champagne Socialist is one of two runners for John McConnell on the card and Brian Hayes is making the journey there. So the 110, the novice hurdle at air, I'm going for Champagne Socialist. Champagne Socialist for Jane. Thank you very much for listening. That was Monday, January the 9th. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.